Well, we're in a message uh, series called Upgrades, and today we're talking about upgrading from grief, which is something we all have experienced and will continually, to a better kind of grief. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The comfort of our great God is available for those of us who reach out to him. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote these words about grief after he uh, lost his wife, whose name was Joy. He said, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. I'm not afraid, but I'm experiencing the sensation of being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. <laughs> At other times, it feels like I'm, I'm mildly concussed, like I have a concussion. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps just hard to even want to take it in. It is so uninteresting. And yet, I want others to be about me. <laughs> I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they would just talk to one another and not to me. Later, he would say that when someone would approach him, he said, I didn't like it when they brought up the, the topic of my wife, and I didn't like it when they didn't bring up the topic of my wife. Grief is this. It's deep emotional sorrow and distress over losing some cherished person, dream, or thing. It can even be a thing. You know, I mean, if you've, if you've lost, for example, the, your, your old homestead, there's, there's something sentimental about that. Or it can be a dream, for example. I had a, a, I'll never forget a woman told me years ago, she said, I do not, after her divorce, she said, I do not miss my husband's adulteries nor his drunken tirades, but I'm grieving. I grieve the loss of a dream. When we got married, I never thought this would happen. I'm grieving what could have been, what should have been. But then certainly we know the grief from losing a person. Um, there's an axiom that says change is your friend. <laughs> and like all axioms, it's partially true, but not always true. Sometimes change can feel like a, a spring garden, good things good changes, you know, good possibilities. And, and there are necessary transitions in life that come about. Sometimes change can feel like a merry-go-round. Is there anything productive to this at all? And sometimes change feels like a funeral home. There's loss. There's grief. Some of you read the book, Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> written 20 years ago, which describes the sometimes visceral reaction we have in the face of change. And sometimes change really is loss. And we grieve it. Jesus grieved it. If you think that grief shows a lack of faith, it's just not true. In John chapter 11, Jesus will grieve the death of his friend Lazarus. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. My brother Lazarus would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, 
he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. The shortest English verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Our Lord experienced the full range of emotions. You were created in God's image, and God grieves. God has sorrow. And grieving is the natural response to loss. And even Jesus, who knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, wept. says he's greatly moved in his spirit. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is... We're created for Eden, but we don't live in Eden now. John Claypool wrote a book back in 1974 called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler. John Claypool was a preacher. Uh, He had a daughter by the name of Laura Lou at the age of eight. She was diagnosed with leukemia. She died at age 10. In his little four-chapter book, Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, Basically, four sermons that he gave uh, during her illness and after her passing. It is not for the faint of heart. Uh, if you can read that book and not be touched emotionally, you're made of you're made of Teflon. In that book, Claypool talks about his stages of grief, and they're not particularly linear. They can be circular. And sometimes you might think you're past a particular stage and something can come up and it brings you back. But he said for him, for example, his first stage was just numb shock. He said it was just hard to get your head around it at all. Sometimes you walk around in a daze, not really able to make sense of anything. He says, I felt like I'd fallen into an unknown country where I didn't even speak the language and I couldn't find any landmarks to get my bearings. All I knew to do was just put one foot in front of another and try as best as I could to find the next step. I know over the years, some of you have gone through a painful loss. It's fresh. It's raw. And I might just say to you, when you're here, I say, well, how are you? And so many times people will say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Uh, that's it. I, I'm, I'm here. And I know what you're saying. You're here. There's no muscle tone. Everything's foggy. You you feel like a skeleton with just skin. But you're continuing to put one foot in front of another. You're you're eating. You're you're trying to sleep. You come to church. And and, and you you keep on as as a skeleton knowing that at some point you'll get beyond the numb shock and some muscle tone will return. But for Claypool anyway, he says, first of all, it was numb shock. And then despair. He says, this is where I was just convinced that all my best days were behind me. And my future is just going to be bleak and awful. No real future ahead. Which led to nostalgia. He said, I just wanted to go back. Just go back. I'd keep looking at photos. I I just want to go back. I don't even want to think about walking into a future. And then there was anger. I need some answers here. But Claypool would say that's a dead-end street. Searching for answers that make perfect sense. 
He said that for him, he found out though, and it was a sweet part, to discover that when all you have left is the Lord, that is enough. And then he said, a fifth stage for him, and he said this was a game changer, was gratitude. And I'm going to come back to this later in the message. He said, instead of being resentful over what you lost and regretting what you no longer have, if you can press on to the point where you can be grateful for what you had as long as you had it, that's a huge transition point. To be angry because a gift has been taken away is to miss the whole point of the gift. And life, he says, is a gift. Every relationship treasured, it is a gift for that day. And he said, and that leads to hope. And yes, hope as believers, eternal hope, but also there comes a point where there's hope also where I no longer believe all my best days are behind me. God still has something for me here. I still have a purpose. I can still be useful. And I'll smile again. Henri Nouwen said, the question is not how can we avoid loss because you cannot. How can you make it not happen? You can't do that. But to choose it as a passage, as an exodus to a new chapter in life. And so here's my second major point, which is you don't bounce back from grief. You can bounce forward, but you don't bounce back. Um, about eight or nine years ago, I had to have shoulder surgery, two bum shoulders. My left shoulder was completely shot, completely torn rotator cuff, torn labrum, bone spurs, the whole thing. So I had to have shoulder surgery, and uh, it, was, uh, it was no fun. So uh, I asked my, my surgeon, I said, so, so, so doc, how long will it be before I feel like I, I never had the surgery? And he said, oh, it'll, it'll be 18 months. I said, you're kidding me. No, it'll, it'll be 18, 18 months. And so for, uh, you know, two or three months, I had to wear this harness and sling and barely lift my shoulder at all. I had to do all these exercises, had to go to physical therapy. I, you know, I've met several physical therapists. We have several in our church. I didn't really know, you know, what you, what you did. Now I know. And um, physical therapists have a mean streak to them. And, 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 they, and they seem to enjoy it, actually. You know, you might think they're very pleasant, very nice. They enjoy inflicting pain. But, uh, hey, here I am later. Look at this. How about that? It's like it never happened. I play golf as poorly as I did before I had the surgery. It's, it, it's like it never happened. Grief is nothing like shoulder surgery. I bounced back from shoulder surgery as if it never happened. Grief is nothing like that. You can bounce forward, can't bounce back. The life and death of my mom, I can't bounce back from that as if, it, as if her life never happened. 
as if her death didn't matter. The life and death of my dad, the life and death of my sister Gail, and so many dear ones I've known over the years, just don't bounce back as if their life didn't matter, as if their death, you know, you just, like it never happened. Their life happened. And they are missed, and their absence matters. We can adapt, we can move into a new normal. There will come some measure of joy in the morning, but it is just that. It's a new normal. How can you move there? First of all, grieve your loss. Don't minimize it or rush it. You're moving into a new reality, and there's no artificial timeline for you. You ride your ride. Secondly, receive from others. We need that. Even Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? He said to his inner circle, he said, I need you to just come be with me. The presence principle. There's a strength transfusion from one another. Romans 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Be willing to mourn with those who mourn. We need that from one another. But listen carefully. There's only so much your friends can do. Remember, they have limitations. And even the best friend is no substitute for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So take your losses to God. And sometimes this involves lament. People ask, what's the difference between lamenting and just grumbling? When you grumble, you complain about God. When you lament, you complain to God. And you take your hurt and your confusion with a mustard seed of faith into the Lord's presence. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But notice how his lament builds at least to a sliver of hope. But I trust in your unfailing love. And my heart rejoices in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. 1 Peter 5 says, you cast all your cares, even your grief on him, because he cares for you. He cares for his burdened people. And he says, you come to me. Rest in me. Let me be your shelter in a haven. Rest, regroup, refresh in me. And fourthly, see God's gifts even in loss. And this is where I take you back to Claypool's book, tracks of a fellow struggler and he talks about seeing the life of his daughter as as a gift and he said he was a game changer for him he had to get there and he he told a, a story it might sound a little silly you know here we are in our day and age we, we think everybody has a has a, a washing machine but Claypool, you know, back when he was a kid, not everybody had a washing machine. He said they had a neighbor who had one, though, and his neighbor was going into military service. And he came over to Claypool's family and said, listen, I'm, I'm going to be away for three years, and I've got this washing machine 
would you like to have it? And they said, uh, for three years anyway. They said, well, sure. So the neighbor brings it over. They have it in, uh, Clay, in the Claypool family basement. And for three years, they have a washing machine. And then lo and behold, their neighbor came home from military service. He got his washing machine back. And Claypool complained bitterly, he said to his mom, why did he have to take the washing machine back? And he said, my mother replied, John, it never belonged to us. It was always a gift. And we should not just complain continually that we no longer have it. We need to find a place to be grateful that it ever came to us in the first place. Peter Barnes said in reading that story, he said, it was a breakthrough for me and I was able to change my perspective from one of resentment over what I lost to one of gratitude that I was ever married to my wife Lori in the first place, he said. And this change in perspective literally transformed my life. And that's why 1 Thessalonians 5 would say this, that in every circumstance to find gratitude for that's God's will for us. And then also trust that God is at work in you for good. As you work through the stages of grief, trust that God is at work in you. Romans 8, 28, and we, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so you never doubt that God is at work. Anybody can bring good out of good, but even out of, this doesn't teach that everything's good, but that in even those distasteful circumstances, God can bring about something good. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble, notice this, with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. You trust that God is at work even in those distasteful situations where he's working in us, he can bring about good, he can even use those as training times for your future ministry. As Ron Hutchcraft prayed, he said, Lord God, please don't let me waste this grief. If it's going to hurt this bad, please use it somehow to make me even more useful to you. And last of all, remember God's promises of hope. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. In other words, you'll all experience grief, but in Christ, we can do a better kind of grieving. We have an upgrade. For we believe, verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's an early Christian confession. What do you believe? Jesus Christ died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him, a euphemism for death. And beginning verse 15, 
over the next three verses, you're going to see the word Lord used five times, reminding us that all authority over the living and the dead belong to Jesus Christ. And according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. In other words, the Christian dead are not disadvantaged in any way. And those who are living right now on earth are not disadvantaged in any way. There is an unbreakable solidarity between the church on earth and the church in heaven. Death cannot separate you from the Lord. And death does not separate us from one another permanently. It's only temporary. It's a comma. It's not a period. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ rise first, a place of honor. They lead the victory parade. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. We will be. Solidarity, unity. Our separation from one another is temporary. Some of you in this room, you buried a child. Some of you lost a child before you ever really had a chance to hold that child. Those children are precious to the Lord. I believe life begins in the womb. Knit together by the Lord. And I believe you will relate to that child and the wonder of eternal personhood and in the fullness of God's incredible tomorrow. Just like we know Jesus rose from the dead, every believer gets an Easter Sunday as well. Verse 18, so therefore you can encourage one another with these words. Encouragement, not disillusionment. Encouragement, not hopelessness, not doubt. In Christ, we have a better kind of grieving. We do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That doesn't mean you're not going to carry some scars. That doesn't mean that you just bounce back like it never happened. But you can bounce forward because of the gospel. Grief hurts. Grief hurts a lot, but the anchor holds, and the anchor of the Christian hope sees us through. We don't get over it, but we get through it because we have a rock-solid anchor. Let me put a photo up here on the screen. This is a photo of the family of Stephen Curtis Chapman. Many of you know who he is. He's actually the most uh, awarded most official awards of any uh, Christian musician, contemporary Christian musician. Uh, that's his uh, beautiful family. But there's someone missing from this photo. And here she is. This is little five-year-old Maria Chapman. And on May the 21st, 2008, it was a difficult day for the Chapman family. Their teenage son was driving home. Uh, they were just actually uh, uh, in the not-too-distant future. Their oldest uh, daughter was about to be married. 
I believe it was a Friday afternoon, their teenage son's driving home, he's in an SUV, and the kids are playing outside, and their five-year-old daughter Maria, she just loved her older brother, and she darts out to meet him. He never saw her, and uh, he hit her. And Stephen Curtis Chapman was on his porch, on his phone, he hears a commotion, he runs out, he just describes... uh, calling 911. Uh, she was rushed. Maria was rushed to Vanderbilt Hospital, flown there, life flighted to Vanderbilt Hospital. He's driving there frantically and just, just praying, say, God, please, please, uh, we just, we, we can't, we can't lose Ma- Maria. And uh, the doctor said, we, we've done, we did all we could do. She, she didn't make it. Stephen Curtis Chapman said, I, I went, went to a room where I thought nobody could hear me, and I just screamed as loud as I could. And I did that multiple times over the next few weeks. I would just go to a place and just scream over and over as loudly as I could. He said so many people loved on us. They were so kind. And we know where she is. But I just want her back. In the future, we... We started doing good things, he said. We, we started several organizations to help uh, 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 Chinese children with special needs because our little Maria was born with a hole in her heart. We've seen all these amazing things happen in her honor over the years, but he said, we still carry the sadness and the grief. And he said this, it's a completely unfixable, broken beyond repair situation until heaven. In heaven and only in heaven will this make sense. And that's why I would remind you today, never take your eyes off the big picture. It's important that we continually see the big picture, not just one or two scenes, the whole book, not just one chapter, the whole day, and not just one meal or one snack. That's why Jesus kept telling his disciples not to get caught up in the drama of the moment, the drama of persecution, the drama of criticism, so that you lose heart and run away. No matter how bad the present moment may be, God has a future for you, and God has a future for your loved ones in Christ. It's large, it's huge, and the anchor holds. Matt, would you be making your way up here, please, to lead us in our closing prayer? And as he's doing so, I want to read a scripture to you from Isaiah 35 and verse 10. And uh, this describes our big picture. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away.